You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, Kraken fans? Welcome to episode number 20, a.k.a. Sebastian Aho of Keeping Up With The Krakens, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings. Use promo code THPN for exclusive offers. This is your co-host, Tyler Bell, coming from the Rocky Mountains of Alberta, Canada. And of course, today, once again, joined by co-host Alec Durham. How are you doing today, Alec? Oh, doing pretty good, Belzy. How are you doing, brother? Oh, not so bad. Not so bad. Just enjoying a nice Sunday afternoon here. Uh, how'd your weekend go? It was nice. I actually had the weekend off work. Didn't have to go in and do nothing. No dicking around there. Just got to lay around and watch the NHL All-Stars go at it. Nice. Yeah, that's something we'll uh, we'll dive into later in this episode. We got a lot to talk about. Just the two cracking games that we had this week, but they were pretty good games. Pretty exciting. One win, one loss in there. We'll get into that soon. Yeah, we got that whole All-Star Weekend recap we're going to go through as well. And then going to uh, take a look at the other two games that the Kraken are going to be playing this week coming up ahead. Uh, those are against Arizona and Anaheim. So we'll take a little deep dive into that. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to look at some uh, trade pieces that the Seattle Kraken may or may have or may not have here. Uh, and just kind of get our give our two cents on some of these guys who might be on the move in about a month's time so uh that'll be great but before we get into that man uh i see you're sharing a little drink over there what are you sipping on uh sipping on a little uh Michelob there notice you got something too what's in your can brother oh buddy i am enjoying a nice belgian moon right now it's just it's just one of those sundays I sit back have a nice beer relax a bit and i know i said this probably two podcasts ago we're not going to bring up weather but it is seven degrees celsius outside here in western canada uh in the rockies and i can't believe it for this time of year in february just we we, we don't get this type of weather now so oh enjoying every bit of it right now so yeah how, how's things back home though we don't talk about weather <laughs> all right fuck it Moving on from the weather, we're going to get right into things right away here. Uh, let's start things off. Uh, you know, last week they faced the Boston Bruins uh, for the first time in their history. And they went into Boston and 
you know, anytime you're going into uh, this Boston team, you got to expect a rough and rowdy type of game. And you're going to get that from their fans as well, right? They bring just a bit of a different type of energy to their games. Oh, yeah. They're just relentless. And not just within the glass, but outside of it, too. I mean, have you worn a different team's jersey in Boston? I haven't because I'm scared shitless to do it. <laughs> have you been to Boston? No. <laughs> that might be why, but I know you have been to what Pittsburgh, right? I've seen, seen a couple games down in the States. How are those, by the way? They're great. Great. I mean, always cheering for the home team, though. So that's all right. But I went with my cousin once, who's a Flyers fan. He was dropped. It's okay. Oof. We still love him. <laughs> he was dropped. <laughs> yeah, tough one. But I'm guessing the Berg came out with, uh, with a W that night. In overtime, actually. Hell of a Ooh, game. We got to sit right of... behind Pittsburgh's net. That's pretty decent. And you know what else was a hell of a game? Uh, the game against Boston that the Kraken played last week. You know what? They dropped this game 3-2, Durham. But what a game it was. The intensity, uh, you know, just falling short of a comeback for the Kraken. Uh, it had a little bit of everything in this game. Yeah, I mean, they definitely had Boston scared right down to the very end of the game there. They did. It came down to the wire. And, you know, heading into this game, it was Chris Dreger getting the start in that, uh, you know, one night before this hockey game, he went and got engaged. So, you know, he, of course, he was going to get the start in this game, right? Like, what a moment for him. Well, it gets a start on the rest of his life. So, might as well get a start on tonight's game, too. Yeah, exactly. A little uh, shout out there, Chris Dreger. Congratulations on the engagement, man. And not wishing nothing but the best for you and, and your future. And but but let's hold up here because there's a bigger storyline than just an engagement uh, that happened before this game that it was announced. That was the Flurry brothers were playing together, not only in the same hockey game, but on the same D pairing to start the game. How insane is that? That's awesome. I mean, it's something you usually just see in preseason, but the fact that they get to live that out, I'm sure what they dreamed about as kids growing up together in an actual NHL regular season game, that's something else. Yeah, just an unbelievable moment for them and their family to be able to experience that. And I don't know, thinking back, like, has that ever happened? Um, I guess the only instance I could kind of think of is Rob and Scott Niedemeyer possibly playing on the same D pair at some point in Anaheim. I thought Rob was a forward. Oh, could so, have been. I, I could. I could I'm Googling I that be, now, but the Stalt brothers that. played an entire line together a few years yeah, back when it was Eric that. Jordan and they had, I believe Jared came up to I fill out the third forward line. Yeah. I believe you're right on that. And I believe like the Sutter's, at some point in the past too, there were some brothers who played together, but I can't recall uh, two brothers playing on the same D pair together. That's uh, that's some pretty cool history uh, being made for the Seattle Kraken. So, uh, and it was all kind of because of Will Borgen getting put on the COVID protocol that allowed Cal Flurry to get called up and play his first NHL game of the season. So exciting to see, uh, you know, just to see that happen. It was unbelievable. Rob is a centerman, by the way. Just throwing Yikes. that out there. Just that's tossing. A, that's a dash one to me right off the bat, eh? Cheers. Cheers to the dash one. I'll take it. Fuck. Line change. Strong uh, start. Strong, strong start. start. Yeah. I'm going to dump and change that because we're going to go right into the first period here. Um, and the Kraken, they had a nice early power play. 
and they looked pretty engaged on it with like early on great puck movement from Wenberg on the half wall there and done on the point they're doing some given uh, some little give and goes um but man the guy of the period no shocker here chris dreger coming off that huge engagement making not one not two but three huge saves in a row right in front of his crease to absolutely rob the bruins early on in this hockey game what'd you think of that that's someone who had a real strong start and we're not saying that sarcastically he was just on fire coming out from the paint here yeah and you know morale was high with him obviously he was uh you know, super excited to get out there and uh, start this game strong. And that's what he did right off the bat. But then, you know, halfway through the first, the Kraken kind of were already on their second power play. It was pretty dull. And I don't think the Kraken even had like even a second of time in the in Boston zone there. They didn't set it up at all on that one. So that was a bit rough looking. Yeah, I mean, that kind of kills morale a little bit, but you know, you just take your best chances of the period when they do come, and they came from the Kraken's top line there with a nice little tic-tac-toe play from Joho and Canner, but, you know, couldn't quite finish it off. Then Joho gets a look all alone in the front there, but puts her over the net. Yeah, that was a close one, and that top line continues to just buzz for this team and carry a lot of that uh, offensive load. And gotta admit, I'm impressed with uh, Marcus Johansson. He's he's been fitting in nicely ever since he's got put up on that top line. So, uh, great job there. Um, they did outshoot the Bruins too, eight to seven. Uh, but it wasn't that great considering they had the two pop power plays for the Kraken, and uh, they had none against. So, uh, fairly even. But you know, I feel like it could have got a bit more out of the Kraken in that in that first period. Yeah, I mean, if you got four minutes on the man advantage to Boston's four minutes of the PK, you'd certainly like to outshoot them by more than one overall in the period. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And the second period started with a bang. Literally, Yanni Gord, hard on the forecheck, finishes a strong hit on Vakaninen, sending his body and more so his face rupturing the glass. Uh, that was a big hit, wasn't it? That was huge. Just threw all of himself in on the forecheck there. Gets his feet going. So gets the speed up, a little bit of force. There's a bit of physics in there for all you smarty pants. And just just, uh, yeah, just dusts the guy. Yeah, no, that was a big hit. And I couldn't believe they actually reviewed it. And because on the ice, they called that a major they called that a major penalty. I, I honestly, I couldn't believe it. I understand Vakanainen got crushed into the boards, but that was just a good, strong forecheck by Yanni Gord there. Um, I think there might have been riots in the streets of Seattle if that stayed a major penalty. Uh, that would have been ridiculous. But uh, Kraken, you know, they would come back, do a strong job, staying aggressive and killing off that minor penalty that he got, uh, that Yanni Gord got there. So no harm, no foul on the play. I mean, maybe a little harm to Vakanainen's face. You know, keep your head up a little bit, kid. You're bigger than Gord. Brace yourself for that hit. Yeah, you're in the big leagues, pal. You, you got to be ready for that hit. You can't just let him dummy your face into the boards, but or, you know, more specifically the glass. But, uh, you know, there's a hard way and an easy way to learn things, and he, uh, he learned the hard way on that one, I'd say. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. After that, too, that's when the gloves come off. Lazar jumps Gord for the hit, and Lozon ends up going to the ice with another Bruin. All in all, it results in the third power play for the Kraken. 
Yeah, it would. But uh, again, uh, an aggressive Bruins PK. They didn't allow uh, Seattle to muster up much of anything there. And yeah, I mean, it's guys like, you know, Bergeron and Marshawn. Uh, not many teams have that kind of skill and, you know, star power on their penalty kill. So uh, the Bruins are one of the best in the league at, at the penalty kill. And, you know, year after year, they're in the top three for, you know, goals scored on the PK. And there's a reason why uh, when you have those guys on the PK, right? Yeah, if you can put world-class talent like that when you're down a man, they're going to find ways to create a little bit of space for each other. And they're going to understand when they have an opportunity to just fly the zone for a quick break. Yeah, Marshawn is sick. Just nasty sick on the PK. I, he, he does such a good job of coming in and then making a move and, and finding space. He's just, just ridiculous how good he is uh, when they're down a man. You know? But then, of course, it's Everly to the box for a trip. Uh, so, you know, the first one for the Kraken of the game, Bruins win the draw right off the bat, send it down low and then across right across the slot there to pasta. And he makes no mistake with his lethal shot. And just like that, it's one, nothing Bruins. And it, it actually glanced off Donskoy. So just a tough one there to stop for Drager and obviously a tough break for Donskoy there. Yeah. And then did you see Johansson get high stick from Everly there? I mean, Mans hasn't scored in so long, he's forgetting what team he's on. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that was brutal there. I, I, Everly stick just happened to clip Johansson right in the face. It's, you know, it's one thing to get high stick, but when you're taking it from your own uh, teammate and there's no call on the play, it's, well, you're just sacrificing a stick to the face for nothing. And anyone who hasn't played hockey out there, man, does that ever hurt uh, to take one to the face like that. Uh, that sucks. Where the thing's cold, you get that slap and oh, ugh. not a no good feeling. It. Nope, not at all. Kraken's fourth power play of the game comes off an interference call on Brandon Carlo, and they pressed hard, had a couple of shots, but ultimately drew another penalty when Jake DeProsk sent the puck over the glass for a nice little short five on three chance for Seattle there. Unfortunately, the same story as the last four power plays because the Kraken just cannot find a way to score a fucking goal. Just two goals in their last 30 chances with the man advantage. Yeah, what's happened to this power play? It's been struggling like so much. Um, you know, what's your take? I think I know why, but uh, you know, what's your take? It's just part of being Seattle hockey, baby. They're just streaky this season. Goaltending has its ups and downs. Goaltending's up right now. Power play's down. It was up when goaltending was down. Let's just fucking meet in the middle, everybody. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, McCann, just get him the puck and get that guy shooting. He's so he's so lethal on the power play. But I think the biggest problem is they're they're just making it too easy on these goaltenders to see all the shots from the point in the slot. They just need to get more traffic in front of that net. Just get a greasy goal. Get your sticks up, chip a puck in, and, you know, make it as hard as you can for those goalies to see those pucks. Can't see it if you can't stop it. Wait, can't exactly. stop it if you can't see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you That's go. That's a dash, like, three for me now. Ah, it's okay. It might get into the pluses later on. Um, but because of that, the Bruins, a.k.a. Taylor Hall, he would beat Drager with a little snapshot right in front of the net. Uh, a sloppy little play by Seattle there that kind of turns that puck over to Taylor Hall. That would extend that Bruins lead to two right before the end of the second. Put him in a bit of a hole going into the third, didn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's one Adam Oates would definitely call fumble fucking the puck there right before Halsey's goal. Everyone just mishandles it a little bit. Three guys in the slot there. But uh, I got something to ask you, Ty, going into the third here. Yeah, what's that? Do you believe in miracles? Why? Why? Yes, I do, Durham. Because Jonas Donskoy scored a goal, Ty. His first fucking goal is a Kraken. Holy shit, it actually happened. 43 games as a Seattle Kraken. Jonas Donskoy throws the monkey off his back and says, I'm done with you, pal. First goal as a Kraken, man, that's got to feel so good for him. And he gets things fired up for the Kraken into this game. And it's like, man, everybody's just been waiting for this moment all season long. And the fact that it took over half of the season for it to happen, kind of mind-boggling. But thank goodness Jonas Donskoy has a goal as a Seattle Kraken. And not just in the shootout either. Exactly. Like, what a moment. How, like, like, explain how big that is for him. Well, you see, it's as if he's been living life and every day just adding another one of those 45-pound weight vests. And <laughs> as soon as he scored, he just shrugged them all off. And my God, he's got to be walking around just shoulders back, feeling like he's eight inches taller, dragging along the ground as he's walking around. Yeah, unbelievable. The weight's off, and hopefully it's just all uphill for he- from here on out, and uh, he could pop a few more before the end of the season or maybe get that up to double digits before the end of the season. Uh, you got to think that's still possible, that Don Scoy can pull that off, no doubt, right? That's The man's a 20-goal scorer on, uh, you know, around that mark. So for him to reach 10, I don't think that's uh, asking too much, even though, you know, you look at it 43 games in, one goal, like what are you talking about, Ty? But uh, I think he, I think man's can hit 10 this year. I think that's certainly a number that, using logic would dictate he could reach mm-hmm. yeah so let's let's hope that uh you know he's just living off this high of scoring another goal in the nhl and you know keeps the energy coming and speaking of energy that really lit a fire under the asses of the Kraken players when he scored that and they just started feeding off all that good energy from donnie there so uh the kraken kept pressing and they would tie the game right up off a beautiful de- deflection from Mason Appleton there for uh, just his fourth of the season, but good to see him get back up on the board. And, you know, off, off a nice little point shot from Lar- Larson there to make it 2-2 in Beantown. Yeah, I mean, that one took a little bit of a bounce around, finally going in off of McAvoy there, but who cares? We'll take those bounces every day of the week. Exactly. You got to take those bounces. But the Bruins, they get another shot on the power play with less than half a period left. Uh, you know, when Gio unfortunately gets sent off. And once again, it's their sniper on the other side, Pasta, you know, giving the lead back to the Bruins. Another power play goal just fumbles off the glove of Drieger there. Just kind of, you know, luckily goes off his glove there. Doesn't quite get enough of it. Bit of a weak one there, perhaps. Yeah, it kind of looked like Pasternak wasn't entirely sure if he wanted to shoot it or pass it either when he let it off. So it could be one of them just fumbly ones and catches everybody off guard, but shit. You know, either way, it's still crossed the red line and counted for a goal. And the Kraken, they try to battle back with the goalie pulled. Uh, they got some good puck movement. They're in the zone, setting up. And then 
McCann just gets set up for an unbelievable chance, but he misses an absolute wide open cage. Man, oh man, McCann, that would have been a great way to tie that game up late and send it to overtime. But unfortunately, that just wasn't the case this time. Yeah, I mean, that would be the final. Seattle would drop it 3-2 to two to the Bruins in an extremely exciting, action-packed debut for the Kraken in Boston. Yeah, it, it's uh, you got to be happy with uh, their effort in that one. I think, you know, maybe a slower start uh, in the first period, but it kind of was for both teams to a certain degree there. And anytime you're down 2 nothing in Boston, at least they they pressed and they battled back. They tied it up. And, you know, just one power play goal to the Bruins. And that was the, the difference maker was special teams in this hockey game. And, you know, advantage Bruins there. So uh, tough one to swallow, but great effort again from the Kraken. And that's something we're really starting to continue to see win or lose. Uh, they're putting together these great performances and I get it. They lost. So it's like, you know, how great could it be if you're losing? But uh, you take a look at, uh, you know, comparing lineups. That's a great performance from the Kraken, even though they lost it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, anyone who says that after watching that game has no idea what they just watched. (laughs) Yeah, basically. But before they would go on their all-star break, they would play that rescheduled game in New York that they were supposed to play back on, uh, you know, last week. I think it was Thursday or something. But uh, a snowstorm canceled that game on the island or in the island, however you say it. And yeah, they'd get back to playing this right before the All-Star break and coming up with a big 3 nothing win and creating a little bit more history in this game too, right? Yeah, I mean, you get Everly back there too, you know, spent four seasons there, amassed 169 points in the regular season and then 34 playoff points in 49 games too. So there's the guy who shows up if we ever get there. You know, you're looking at those numbers, that's that's pretty good, especially for being a, being a part of the Islanders. How many times do they have guys over a, a point of game players on their team, right? Like John Tavares, Matt Barzell, are those the only two guys who have done it in the last five, six, seven years? Like, uh, it's not too often they're putting up big numbers. So when you take a look at those numbers, that's pretty respectable for, for Jordan Everly there. He's a big part of that team for a while. Yeah, for sure. He was always a guy who, as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, he played well against the Pens, and he always seemed to do it in the playoffs too. So, yeah, when sucked, it mattered the but... most, right? Yeah, he had some big goals for that Islanders team, and really helped them go on to very long playoff runs and make some noise. And fuck, uh, the most exciting Islanders games you're you're gonna watch for a while, I think. Yeah, most exciting game since the '80s. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, because uh, they went on a fuck a long streak of not getting past the first round there for a while. So uh, yeah, that was a while. And I think maybe they did it once against Florida when Johnny T was there, but yeah, you know, couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 25 years between first round wins. Yeah. Brutal. But yeah, jumping back into this one, uh, Grubauer obviously being the, the next night on a back to back, he was back in the net. Guy's been hot facing off against Farlamov. Two former Colorado Avalanche starting net miners there. Connections, right? We're the two best friends that anyone can have. <laughs> All right, hangover. <laughs> nice. And the first period in this one, not a whole lot happening in the first period of this game, to be honest. 
like the Kraken managed to get the only power play. And, you know, it was just real defensive battle in the first period. Not much happened on that power play. Decent amount of block shots there. And it basically it was a very New York Islanders hockey game in this first period, wasn't it? Some might say we're falling into their trap. Yep. Uh, is that a system they play? Might be. Might be might the only be. system they play. Yeah, the Barry Trotch special getting put to play there. But and damn it, yeah, it works. It does work, and damn it, it makes for boring hockey sometimes. And that's kind of how this game felt, at least to start off, you know, a bit on the boring side. And the second period was pretty much exactly like the first. The only real difference was the Kraken taking a penalty as well. And it was a kind of a kind of a BS penalty there, I would say. Vince Dunn just kind of brushes Pajot there as he's driving hard towards the net. And he loses his footing and crashes right into the net. And he, I think it was called two minutes for breathing on an opponent there. Yeah, what happened to uh, embellishment penalties? Where did those go? That looked a little yeah. soft from Pajot. What happened to playing the game hard? That was uh, That was a bit soft there. Soft call, I mean... Yeah, his feet gave out on him, but like, fuck, uh, that ref's arm shot up so quick there, I couldn't believe it. You know what, though? At least we got lucky. Regardless, no goals came out of it. And I mean, credit to the Kraken, though. Through 40 minutes in the hockey game, they were able to keep the Islanders to the perimeter for most of the time. And Grubauer was solid when he needed to be called upon, which, I gotta say, wasn't very often. No, it wasn't that often at all. Just 11 shots against him that he faced through the first 40 minutes in this hockey game. Uh, something we're not accustomed to watching a lot of cracking games. That's uh, not a lot of chances uh, that they gave up through those first 40 minutes. So well done there by the Kraken. Yeah, I mean, and then on the flip side too, the Kraken had 20 shots on that of their own. Struggling on the power play though, 0-2 in the game. Same critic as last game, but whatever. Pos power of positivity right now. They just got to get a little more traffic in front of the goaltender. Yep, I agree with that one. And in the third period, we would finally break that streak with 13 minutes left in the hockey game, or just over 13 minutes left. We would finally see the first goal of the game. And of course, who else but Jared McCann, Mr. Canner himself with his team leading 19th goal of the season. Boy, his stick is hot right now, Durham. That's four goals in his last five games now. Talk about a guy who's just on a heater. This is a guy that just gets absolutely motivated every time he feels like he's been shunned or worked hard and should have, you know, maybe got shafted just a little bit. But uh, five games ago, I think it was Everly was announced, was, our, uh, was our all-star and not McCann. So he's like, I'm not a fucking all-star. I'll show you an all-star. Yeah, and and he took that personally, <laughs> and he went out and uh, memes, and now he's just you know slaying it for the crack and and, and leading their team goals and points. Like oh, what a beast he's been. Uh, he might be getting brought up in a question later in this podcast. We'll have to wait to find out. But honestly, on that goal there, great effort uh, on the forecheck from once again Marcus Johansson. Getting in there early, getting hard on the forecheck, causing uh, causing some ruckus along the boards. And then right behind him, Everly comes in, and he's able to find that loose puck off the battle. Throws it to McCann, who just sneaks it in on a, a pretty tough angle there. Kind of bounces off Farley's shoulder and in. So uh, a nice little goal there. A great goal by the first line once again. 
Speaking of nice little goals, oh my God, Vince Dunn, you bad, bad man. One of the best goals we're going to see from a Kraken team all year. Dunn walks in off the blue line, just freezes up a defender before pulling an absolutely nasty backhand toe drag. Keeps his momentum going into the slot and just rips a backhander beating Varlamov. What a beauty. Honestly, though, that was gross, dude. Oh, Vince Dunn with the nasty hands from the defenseman, too. Uh, I love that. He, he, he took that pass, uh, you know, just coming, kind of coming in off the blue line there. And you could see he, he kind of held still there for a second with the puck. Looked like he froze everybody up in front. And then just smooth hands, like to make that play right to the back end, do that backhand toey, um, and then bring it all the way to the slot and and put it in on the backhand too to finish off that nice play. That's a hell of a goal there by, by Vince Dunn. And, you know, maybe some of that offense that uh, we've kind of been expecting to see all year. And it's nice to see him pull through and get a big goal like that for the Kraken in this hockey game, baby. Yeah, hopefully he gets a little more comfortable and plays like that become a little more of his, you know, forte. Yeah, I still see a lot of growth left in uh, left in Vince Dunn, and I think you know he could still become a close to a fifty point guy at, at some point in his career on the back end. That might be asking a lot. Maybe it's more uh, more of a 45, 40 point guy, um, you know, across most years for him. But uh, maybe at some point he he tops out and, and hits that fifty point mark. But uh, you're going to have to see a lot more of those toys if that's going to happen. Someone's got to do it. Exactly. And then for the end of the game here, you know, the Islanders would pull their goalie with a few minutes left, but that shit don't matter because Mason Appleton seals the victory with an empty netter and Philippe Grubauer now has officially the first shutout in Kraken history. Yeah, first ever shutout. For the Kraken in their history, what a game, what a moment for the German gentleman there. And this is like a guy, we've been pumping his tires as of late, probably the last two episodes now, and he's continuing to to look impressive. And I mean, you know, maybe it's not the biggest, uh, uh, you know, workload for him in this game, but how big is that for his confidence coming off a big 19-save shutout like that going into the All-Star break? Well, it's absolutely huge for him. And you know what else is I don't think we're going to see him switching back to those old pads anytime soon. No, I think those pads are locked in. Those are going to carry him all the way to the rest of the season. And I'll be really, really curious to see what his setup's going to be to start next season. If he's going to be rocking CCM pads or he's going to be going with his uh, true setup that he switched to this year. Me thinks that it could be back to the CCM pads, though. I mean, if it ain't broke don't even try to fix it right exactly McCann ain't broke either another two-point game for the guy yeah not only did he bury that uh, goal there but he picked up the extra assist there and another big game for Jared McCann obviously and you know they played two games and they were both really good hockey games obviously uh, I think there was a bit more excitement into the in the Boston game but uh, for them to come back the next night and and shut out the Islanders on the back-to-back and, uh, you know, making history like they did. Uh, that's an absolutely huge win for the Kraken heading into the All-Star break. What a way to do it. Yeah, just seal it out. 3 nothing. Suck it, Islanders. 
Yeah, suck it, Islanders, heading in to the All-Star weekend. And let's kind of recap this because it's been a bit of a while since we've seen the All-Star game and events go on. So um, obviously, first things first, big shout out to Jordan Eberle. He scored a nice goal in his one and only game that they ended up playing. Uh, That was a nice beauty goal on the breakaway there. So maybe that's going to help him uh, throw the monkey off his back and be able to come back with a bit more confidence and start finding the back of the net again, too. Here's hoping we need someone else other than McCann from that line to score goals. They've got great chemistry. They zap the puck around, but need more than one guy to be a scoring threat. Yeah, you, you can't put it all on McCann. So here's hoping to that. But jumping right back into this recap, the Metropolitan Division They just shoved it down our throats after last podcast, after we said um, there's one team who I don't think is going to win it, and it ended up being the Metro. God damn it, that always seems to happen. But huge shout-out to uh, uh, Claude Giroux there, who's not only winning it, but ends up getting uh, the tournament MVP award. Little shout-out to him from Hearst, Ontario. Three goals, one assist in the two games he played. How are you? Not too bad from Mr. Giroux there. Yeah, he probably got a couple more destinations on his trade offers. I was going to say that he's, uh, you know, pumping those tires just to, you know, really showcase himself because I'm sure he wants to go to a cup contending team real badly. And uh, what a way to prove that you still have a lot of, a lot of offense left in the tank. And that first goal he scored in that first game, oh my God, that was absolutely nasty too, wasn't it? That screamed to me. I can play with Nathan McKinnon. I swear to God, I'm not too old. I can do it. Look. Okay, interesting you bring that up. Who would you take off the top line? Rantanen. Or you move Rantanen down, play him with... Uh, it might not be a bad idea to get somebody a little more star-studded. Rantanen or Landis God playing with Kadri. Yeah, I think I if mean, you put Landeskog and Kadri together, one of them's taking a penalty every other shift. That's too much <laughs> physicality for the ref to just be like, "Fuck, I can't call anything." Think about that though in the playoffs. That's a that's a deadly line to have that much physicality, um, and then you know be able to have that much of a scoring threat as well. Um, the fact that Nazem Kadri sitting on sixty points in forty-one games played, um, his career high Durham sixty-one points. He's might double his career points in a contract year. That guy's gonna get paid this off season. Where's that gonna be? Because it ain't gonna be in Colorado. Unlikely. No, I have no idea. But you know, being an Ottawa fan, I know at some point. Um, there were some rumors that Ottawa was looking at uh, trying to target Nazem Kadri before the start of this season. So um, I wonder if that's somebody they'd look at and try to add depth. It's funny because uh, that Kadri name and Claude Giroux are two guys that uh, could be on their radar, but you know, time will tell, but yeah, hopping back into this one. I didn't think I was actually going to benefit off Claude Giroux getting MVP, but um this guy picked him up in, uh, you know, a nice pack from NHL 22 hut and the guy grew to a 95 overall. So I'm fucking just laughing at that. That was unbelievable. Guy opens one pack. I open one like 14. Pack. Don't get any. He opens one and packs <laughs> yes. the fucking MVP. Uh, unbelievable. I couldn't believe Some people it. are born lucky. 
how to pump my own tires there. But moving on here, how about Jordan Cairo taking home fastest skater? That kind of came out of nowhere. Clocking in at a full lap at 13.55 seconds. Uh, just edging out Kempe by 0.04 seconds to take the fastest skater award. Uh, you know, that that's just impressive. Yeah, I think it's not too far off of his AHL fastest skater time as well. Because I know he won it down there the one year. But, you know, I got to admit, I was a little disappointed by McDavid and Makar. I thought they'd have been the two guys right at the top. Now, sure, here's to say they may not have gone 110% balls of the wall. Like, oh, I got to fucking win this thing. But it's also a different style of skating, too. I'd like to see a bit of an agility drill next all-star because this one's just straight speed whereas you got mccarr and mcdavid like their whole thing is they can go in any direction 110 miles an hour with the puck i want to see something like that incorporated yeah i like that like going around pylons you know like we did back in the day in practice you know almost a bit of an obstacle course where you, you have to pivot you have to go to your uh you, you know pivot to back backward skating and you know kind of move up and down the ice into a bit of an obstacle course like that uh, i think that would really showcase uh you know the true ability of an nhl skating or an NHL skater for that matter. So uh, I like I like that idea actually quite a bit instead of just a simple lap, right? We got to find a way to differentiate. Like we always, everyone who is anyone talking about the games after they're like McDavid and McCarr, are some of the best skaters, if not the best skaters in the NHL. It's just amazing. They're a little league of their own. And then they go to an all-star weekend and it's like, fuck, they lost. Yeah, uh, a bit of a shocker. Even Larkin. Uh, his time shocked me looked like uh, kind of looked like he got pretty close to the end boards there when he was doing his lap instead of cutting uh, so close to the back of the net there and, and I think some players gonna lost uh, a second half a second off their time by just uh, having a little uh, adjustment like that so kind of interesting but yeah shout out to Jordan Cairo uh, he took that home not only did he do that he uh, statistically wise was uh, basically the best player in the all-star game. So uh, if his team would have won, I think he would have took home that MVP award as well. So uh, he's been just crazy impressive. Um, But moving on, Victor Hedman with the biggest clap bomb of the night, blasting home 103 mile an hour shot into the net with the glowing pucks. He takes home the hardest shot award. Shout out to him. That was pretty impressive. One I think you called as well. So uh, shout out to you. Yeah, I think uh, I may have said that last podcast. So, you know, turn that dash one into a plus one. Uh, so, th- you know, things are going up for me in this podcast, at least. So uh, that's always good. Um, what 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 did you think about these glowing pucks? I don't know. I thought they were all right for like some of the other competitions, like the new ones. I like the glowing pucks because it was actually you could see them. But yep. for like the hardest shot, get out of my face with that shit. Just give me a little black biscuit right there frozen yeah three inches of rubber by one you inch you almost have to think did those glowing pucks have any kind of effect on that uh on that event like why why not just go with a normal puck you know you're inside exactly all the lights are on makes no sense to switch that up but anyways that's what they went with i did like the idea they had to they had to hit the top of the puck to uh uh to start the light up uh, on the puck so that was pretty cool i like that um, but moving right along here, um, how about the myths on Trevor Zegras? 
I think that was the best move I've ever seen pulled off at an all-star game. Absolutely ridiculous move and absolutely ridiculous that he wasn't the winner of uh, the, what is it? The shootout or the breakaway challenge, breakaway challenge. That was just banana lands that he didn't win it. Um, Why, why, why do that? What's the point of that? Man, I hate that event. And I don't like, I'll use that kind of lightly. I extremely dislike that event. I'll use that kind of lightly. (laughs) Why do you hate it? Give me your thoughts. I think it's so stupid. No one tries to score. Like for me as a kid growing up, the coolest part of the all-star events were the neat tricks that you'd see the NHLers don't really get a chance to try in a game, but could actually still result in the goal. Sure, it's pretty cool. Like, don't get me wrong. What Zebras did was fucking awesome. That should have absolutely won. But that's the other point that I'm bringing up is this event's just dumb as shit. If someone can do that and not win. I know. It's ridiculous. They just went with the hometown guy. Like, what? Like, Petrangelo, he comes out, he takes a shot or whatever, uh, I believe. You know, he took that first shot, you know, got saved, came back. He's like, oh, no, we're going to bring out the drummers. The drummers come out. It's like, oh, okay, that's kind of, you know, kind of neat what's going on. And then you notice uh, he has the little LED lights attached to his jersey. And I was like, oh, man, they're going to shut the lights off here. This is going to look sick. But all that happened was, did they just dim the lights? And it just lit up just a little bit on his jersey. It actually <laughs> turned out to be kind of dumb looking. And the fact that he went down, didn't even have any kind of move in his arsenal and then just throws it over the net. And then they give him the, they, who was it? John Hamm? Give him a, give him a 19 because he was oh the St. Louis God. captain in 19 when they won it. Exactly. And they like, actually got the win. Um, a bit ridiculous that they gave it to him. Um, <laughs> shout out to the burn cat though. I loved the little hangover setup. I thought that was pretty funny. I loved what Kaprizov did too. Uh, you know, showing some love to Ovi, of course, uh, the fellow Russian there. And then, you know, going in with his wrong hand and shooting the pocket and still scoring on it. And I get it. Like it's Vegas. You're putting on a show. So, um, even the Jack Hughes bit, I thought, you know, it was maybe a little bit too much, but it's all for the show, right? It's for the kids that night. So it's cool to see, you know, he did the magic trick. The mini Hughes came out, made a nice little move and, and, and good thing he did bury that too. So um, I just don't get how that gets at all tens and Zegris got two eights. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> how does that happen? NHL baby. It's all yeah. fucked up. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of people didn't like the fact that Zegers didn't win that one. I what think it was the best hold of all time at an All Star game. So I'd probably agree with you. Yeah, yeah. It was just nasty. That was sick. Zegers is awesome, and he and he comes out in the uh, uh, the dodgeball uniform too. The average Joe's. Oh, just what name a, it. What a beauty. Uh, moving right along here, we still had more events. Sebastian Aho. Takes the accuracy shooting challenge going four for four. The first time the NHL All-Star has seen that happen since Daniel Sedin in 2012. Uh, since the players went four for four in that event. So that that's pretty insane to think about that it's been a decade since someone's went four for four. 
that is nuts considering, you know, you've got the best of the best usually there. And that's one of my favorite events to watch too. Yeah, it is. It, it was, uh, it's always one of the best ones and you, you got to feel for the players when they start missing some of those guys. Oh, well, just having to fire pucks. Who, who was it that just started taking slaps? Goudreau. No, no. Oh, was it him? Goudreau. No. is the one else. who's like, I'm in one as soon as he missed his first shot. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm in one. <laughs> that was sweet having him mic'd up. You, you, you love that. But uh, Getzel, too. He almost went four for four. Just missed that one uh, uh, just wide on that fourth shot and then buries it. I think it he'd have won it, too, five. if he hit that. I think so. He would have beat his time. He would have beat Ajo's time, so... Uh, but no, it was Aho's time. It's his podcast today. So that's kind of why he had Whoa. to take that win. So um, on to the new events, though, because these were interesting and some of the most exciting parts, I think, of uh, the, the competitions, the events. So moving into the first one, though, the Fountain Faceoff Challenge uh, that Zach Wierenski ended up taking home. What did you think of this one uh, over at the, the Fountain there where – uh, they, it was almost like a real life game of saucer King. I actually thought it was kind of interesting. I think I would have rather had it like, uh, remember the old relay races they did. And then uh, the passers yeah. would have to sauce it into the oh, yeah, like yeah. little nets. So nets. you just had to hit the target in a line. You didn't have to like drop it. Cause I didn't like how there was a couple times the guys would drop it in the target here and it would just bounce it up and out. out. Yeah, that was rough. And the weird thing too, like um, you kind of heard it after or while Jonathan Huberto was, was going first, those pucks seemed to have a lot more weight to them. Didn't they? I didn't hear him say that. Well, that's kind of what was going on because I forget who it was, but they even took a slap shot at one point and it got up a bit and then it just dropped. And you could tell those players were struggling uh, to do that event. Um, and I think those pucks were a lot heavier and they did that on purpose to make it that much more challenging because it's not like those targets were that far away or that small. And it's not like that net was that far away. Um, but like Huberto was really struggling there. And I, I really think those pucks had a lot extra weight and it threw off those guys shots. And I think that's why you've seen, you know, the players near the end, like Yossi and Wierenski and, um, that female player too, um, slip in my mind there la lamaru La, La or her her last name there it's french i'm butchering that i feel so bad but she did an, a fantastic job in this event too but i think those players did better because they knew that puck was heavier going into it and that they're gonna have to wire it and uh it did make for an interesting event though i i did enjoy it yeah i didn't mind it it was neat for the first one it's gonna be interesting if they bring that back next year um, they could definitely go with a setup like that. It probably won't be at a fountain, but they could still uh, get. Pr- <laughs> could be. Is that where it is? I think so. I yeah, I think the oh, next All Star okay. Games in South Florida. Oh, maybe they can then do it on water still and, and do little floaty versions, uh, kind of like the saucer game game uh, saucer app that we used to play back in the day. But they got to shoot um, from the beach. Yeah, exactly. That's so. So I liked it. See, that'd it be fun. cool. It would be cool. It would be cool. Um, but yeah, I liked it. And shout out to Wierenski. He did a good job on it. And then moving on to the second one, 
probably one that won't be brought into other events just because it has such a Vegas theme to it. Maybe they'll switch it up with something else, but that was NHL 21 and 22 where they had all the cards set up um, kind of in the stage like feature and they had a line of players there and each player kind of got a chance to, to make 21 by hitting the proper cards that add up to 21. Uh, so what do you think of this event? I liked it. It was the one I was most interested in seeing going into the weekend. But I just think there was a couple little things after the first time doing it, like how players got eliminated was a little weird. So I think next time maybe you got to drop it down to four players so that everyone's got a shot at two aces. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a kind of an, two uh, a minus there for the way that they had it set up. Basically, you had a huge advantage if you were one of the first shooters in the event because you got a chance to hit the last couple aces. So the way it was kind of set up was a bit interesting in that in that sense. But uh, big shout out to Pavelski. He takes home the win on that one. And that guy is just an absolute sniper. Him and Stamkos, they were just picking, picking their shots in that event. And Samer's just letting clappers go too. He's like, do whatever shot you want. I'm going to hit it. Yeah, and I think they were uh, breaking a couple of the lights in the back doing it too. Yeah, so, uh, pretty impressive. All I got in the all, nine and the light. Yeah, exactly. Oh no! All in all, though, um, it was it was not bad. I'd give it about a seven out of ten. Being in Vegas, I really thought there was going to be a lot more uh, energy involved in the first day of the All Star, and it just seemed a bit dead and a bit like cringy at times. But all in all, I get you know I gave it a seven out of ten. It was satisfactory. I didn't get to see the games the next day. What would you rate the games? I'm giving the whole weekend a six. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, no, honestly though, how are the games? They were all right. The actually, to be honest, the best game was the one the Atlantic lost because as uh, I forget who was broadcasting, I believe it actually might have been fucking Messier. But he was talking about how uh, Matthews was down on the bench and after they started losing, he goes, all right, I haven't won one of these things yet and I'm a little sick of this. We're not losing today. So they turned it up a little <laughs> bit and it was competitive, like good shots back and forth, fast pace towards at the end of that game. And it was the best of the three, I thought. Yeah, that's uh, that's not too bad, Ben. I, I might have to go check out a bit more highlights, but yeah, work was in the way, so I didn't get to catch that. But, you know, shout out. It was nice to have another All-Star weekend, so that was good to see. Kraken fans, the moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country now. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code THPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. 
That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. All right, Kraken fans, welcome back to episode number 20 here. Um, Durham, we're going to preview the only two games of the Kraken play this week coming up. Uh, starting off with uh, Wednesday, February 9th, six full days of a break before, uh, you know, they get to face the Arizona Coyotes. This time it's back at home. Uh, so a quick little trip back home and a bit of a revenge game, right? Considering the last game that the these two teams played against each other. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a shit showing like that where you just keep giving up goal after goal after goal after you score, which we knew was the Kraken's bane, which actually I don't think has happened very much in the last couple of weeks. So thank fuck for that. But they're definitely going to want to, you know, drop the hammer on the Coyotes here. Take it yeah, easy, you gotta come out. Yeah, you got to. Sorry, I cut you off there. You got to come out with uh, an absolute ferocious effort in this game and get some revenge on Arizona. And it's not like they didn't do that last game because I believe they were up to nothing just like a minute 19 into that game. And, you know, I think we were all kind of thinking, oh, we're going to walk all over this Arizona team. And then as the game went on, it's like slowly gets tied up, tied up. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's the start of the third period and uh, the, the Arizona Coyotes are winning the hockey game. And it's like, what happened? Like, where did things go wrong? Yeah, it kind of just fell apart there, especially when they took the lead towards the end. It's like, yeah, we got this. And then, oh, fuck, it's tied. We're going to overtime. And then, oh, fuck, we lost and we didn't even get to overtime. Yeah, that was a bit of a heartbreaker there. And that was pretty early on in the season. And a lot has changed since then. Uh, the, the team looked very confused playing together on the ice, especially the back end there, there was a lot of atrocious giveaways early on in the season. And I think a lot of that has started to get, uh, it's been a slow process, but it's been getting um, a lot better and a lot more cleaned up from that back end. So definitely expecting a a win here from uh, the Kraken. And you're facing an Arizona team who you look at their record 11, 30 and four, you'd think, Oh my God, they must be the worst team in the NHL basically, but not quite because Montreal's in last place, but they're still second last. And uh, give me your thoughts on this matchup here. What do you expect? What's your prediction for the score? I think Seattle is going to be a big goal scoring game. I think they're going to come off of that shutty win against the Islanders. And they're going to be like, Hey, let's do that again. And I'm going to win four nothing Seattle. Ooh, I like it. Okay. Four nothing Seattle. You got, Um, is that back to backs for Groovy? Yes. Nice. I like it. I like that a lot. But who is going to score those four goals? McCann's going to get two. Gord's going to get one. And Susie's going to get the other. I like the Susie pick, but I'm going to throw Donnie in there. Yeah, boy. Jonas Donskoy is going to get that second goal uh, going for him right after uh, the All-Star break to get things going for him and keep trending up in the right direction. I'm going to throw that out there. But then again, uh, they, they play, you know, so hopefully things go good with Arizona there and we get a big win. But we're going to be facing an opponent we've had some trouble against uh, on the on the Friday night there on February 11th. Uh, and that's back on the road in Anaheim, a team that they've really struggled against already this season, uh, facing them two times already so far this year, losing both matchups. 
uh, the first one seven to four earlier in the year, and then the more recent one a four one loss in Anaheim. So how are they going to overcome these losses against this Anaheim team? What are they going to have to do in this matchup? Well, essentially, Ty, they're going to have to try and score more goals than they allow. Oh fuck! Okay, that's how it works. That's just what someone told me once, and it oh, worked. Oh man. I've been confused this whole time. I'm like, how how do you win a hockey game? I I can't believe it it took me this long to figure it out. But all right, I get it. Good sarcastic answer there. What's your real answer? (laughs) They're gonna have to try and find a way to shut down the kids in Anaheim because there's a lot of them and they fucking buzz around. So they're gonna have to find a way to get the puck in deep behind their D there and kind of spend a lot of time playing on the walls and not letting them build speed up and attack him. Yeah, a couple of those guys uh, you're talking about there, obviously, uh, they have a, a few really good young pieces. Uh, Zgress has really been trending up in the right direction. Uh, he's going to be a big scoring threat. And then, of course, you have their all-star player there, Troy Terry, who has been on a tear um, this mm-hmm. season. So, uh, you know, he's a goal-scoring machine. They're really going to have to shut him down and keep their power play chances for Anaheim very limited in this game because uh, they have some really strong power play units on that team uh, that do damage, and a lot of uh, good offensive defensemen on that team too. A couple guys you you don't really think about all the time. Hampus Lindholm, who's fairly steady and can put up power play points. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, who's having a, a pretty darn good year too for them. Uh, on that back end as well. So, um, and then a huge, you know, we talked about it before, but a huge bounce back year too for a guy like Ryan Getzlaff. So um, they can be a, quite the physical team, this Anaheim team. So I think they're really going to have to come out and and take the aggression out and really fucking forecheck hard. And uh, hopefully, you know, the third time's the charm against Anaheim on Friday and they could pull out the win against them uh, in Anaheim. Score prediction. I'm going to say it's a 4-3 overtime win. I'm going to go 2-1 regulation win. Ooh. They're going to lock it down. 2-1. So, what, uh, 16 goals between the two teams uh, So in the last two games. So you're going with the defensive de- battle and lock it down. Yeah. Bold, bold strategy, but I like it. I like, uh, you know, when you got to switch it up like that and, and go with a score like that. So, okay, I got 4-3, you got 2-1. Uh, we'll see where it ends up. But, yeah, looking forward to just being able to watch another Seattle Kraken hockey game. I'm already itching for it, and we still got to wait uh, a few more days until that, that game against Arizona. So best of luck to the Kraken going into those games. But moving right along here, the very last thing we're going to talk about in this podcast here, um, the Seattle Kraken, obviously where they're sitting, they're going to be trading pieces at the deadline. And that deadline is starting to sneak up. Um, we're about a month out now, uh, maybe just a bit over a month still. Um, and they have some pieces on this team that are maybe not certain, but almost certain that they will be on the move. And, the biggest of those names, obviously, we talked about, but let's just take another deep dive into it. That is our captain here, Mark Giordano. He has a cap hit of $6.75 million this year. He's got a modified no-trade clause as well, Durham, and that is uh, that he can give a list of 19 teams who he would accept a trade to, 
So that's his modified no trade clause. And he's also in the last year of his deal, meaning he's a UFA and unrestricted free agent next year. And where do you expect this guy to end up? I'm going to go with, I'm going to stick with what my gut feeling was from earlier in the year. And I'm going to guess Florida. I think there's a need there for a bit of a veteran presence among their D. You know, sure, they had Yandel that basically could have filled the same role. But I think Yandel is more of a happy-go-lucky guy, whereas Giordano is more of a lock-it-down, we're-fucking-bringing-it-in guy. Oh, yeah, that will pull you into the battle. And it makes sense to add another very good veteran piece on the back end like that. I think it almost makes for a perfect fit in Florida. Is there any other teams though that you think could you know could have an outside chance of landing Mark Giordano? Boston kind of intrigues me a little bit, you know, as a team that would want him to you know help with that push. Carolina seems to be linked to Klinberg, so I don't think they're going to go there. Pittsburgh, a lot of D already. A lot of lefty too, right? Yeah. Rangers yeah. maybe, if if you were looking at Eastern teams. Out West, any of the California teams that isn't San Jose could do something. Yeah, there's been talk that Anaheim could easily be in the mix for a big name or two, uh, and same with L.A. So it'd be interesting to see them kind of bulk up for a, a playoff push because there's some Pacific teams that are going to be right on their tail who have games in hand who you know, technically could be ahead of them uh, if they get wins in those games in hand. So that's a crazy division to, to keep an eye out for going forward, but – what about a team like Colorado? Do you think uh, they could add another D to their, their their core there? Do you think they're pretty set back there? I don't know. I think if they do bring in a D, it's going to be a depth D, and I don't think Giordano exactly fits that for them because I think, you know, they've got Byram and Gerard. Sure, Byram's kind of been in and out with the IRs and concussions, and you hope he's okay, but there could be actually a lot depending on that then. I mean, if Byram's going to be done for the year, maybe they need a guy to play in their top four on the left side there with Gerard. And they got McCarr and Johnson on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they already have some other good pieces. They could, they could be, they could, and they have the cap space to pull it off easily. So uh, they could be a serious contender with uh, the Mark Giordano sweepstakes. And then, of course, I think we have to give uh, the obvious one here because there has been some rumors and some talk already of Giordano ended up back in Calgary. And why not when you've been with them so long and uh, you know their players. You're probably somewhat still familiar with the systems, uh, even though it was what Brent Sutter coming in, or sorry, Brent Daryl Sutter coming in uh, to coach the team last season. Um, so I think that's still a very, very possible option. Is is Calgary trying to bring their uh, their old captain back? I just find it funny because I still am of the belief that Giordano is going to be traded for a first round pick. Like, some team's going to offer a first, right? Yes. I just find it funny if that team's going to be Calgary because in the expansion draft, there was all those articles about the GM and Giordano crying and Sour- or Seattle wanted a first-round pick for them to not take Giordano. And uh, Trey Living's just like, I can't do it, Mark. I can't give up a first for you. And now he's going to give up a first for him. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's funny you put it that way. Um, you think about it and it was probably the right call because, uh, I agree. You, know, Lang, you don't know what you have as a team. I was, I was a person who never thought they'd be, you know, having a start like they are now 
it's not like blowing anyone's mind or nothing. They, they've kind of fallen off a little bit, but they also haven't played as many games as a, a lot of other teams. So um, it, it's one of those moves where, hey, you know you're a contender. You know it, it's a lot safer to give up that pick, and you know it's not going to be like a you know a top ten pick in the draft that you're that you're giving up to hold on to a 37 year old uh, defenseman on your team. So I think it was a, a brilliant move by him to not not um, give that up and hold on to Giordano. And who knows? I think a first round pick is very likely. I think there could be an option where you see more than a first round pick and maybe like a C rated prospect or, you know, just something to help uh, stock the shelves in the Kraken's prospect pool pool. Yeah, absolutely. I think you could see something like that too, just to add some depth to the organization. Mm -hmm. Moving right along. um, Here's another guy who uh, is going to be a UFA next year. So in the last uh, year of his contract, uh, only making two million this year has no type of move clauses. Uh, came from Nashville and has been really, really good in these last fifteen to twenty games. Had a very slow start, but has really picked it up. And that's your boy, boy Cal Yarncrock here. Um, do you see him being on the move? I think someone's going to want him, and you know, I think a team he'd fit in a lot well actually is Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, I I think so too. He's a uh, he's such a Swiss Army knife of a player, and he's proven he could play up and down the lineup. So, give me your thoughts on why Minnesota might be a really good option. I don't think they have you know guys cemented as their top six. They've got kind of like a, their top line guys, and then a middle six mix. So, I think he's one of those guys that is very easily going to move into that middle six mix. And depending on how each game goes, he'll give you what you need to get through that game. And he's a very playoff style player in terms of that. If he's not putting anything up on the board or his passes are a little off, he's going to be a chip and chase guy. He's going to be one of your better four checkers. But if he's got the hands going, he's going to make plays too. Yeah, not only that, he brings some value to a team um, based on his uh, ability to kill penalties as well. And uh, we we both know that in the playoff times, people go down with injuries, and um, it's always great to have uh, multiple, multiple guys who could step in and play those special teams, and you're going to have to have a really good penalty kill if you want to make it far in the playoffs. And Cal Yarncrock here is uh, a very good piece to add if you're looking to build up and bolster up some of the, those penalty kill minutes and, and have him try to munch some of those down uh, down the road in the playoff games. So um, I like the Minnesota pick. I think that's a great destination. Um, again, being a middle six type of guy, I look at a team like Tampa Bay and, and think, could they pull that off? Because they lost their whole third line last year. Maybe this is a guy that they try to bring in and, you know, try to bolster back up on in that middle six. Yeah, I think he could be a fit, good fit there, too, with the Lightning or possibly the Kings if they happen to, you know, bring in a couple pieces, think their players earned it. I think they could be good fits there. Yeah, two fast teams, and, and Yarncroft plays with a lot of speed in his game, so I, I like the, the, the fits there. Do you think Pittsburgh could be a good fit? I don't know, just because they've got so many – forwards already like they've already kind of got a top nine and then what's definitely like their fourth line so i think if he does get brought in it's gonna be something like something would have to come out yeah yeah they're pretty tight with cap money too no yeah 
Yeah, so that's a tough one. Okay, so Cal Yarncroft here. Um, what would you expect to get for a return for uh, trading Cal Yarncroft? What's going to be his, kind of his market? Kind of depending who they trade to. Like, I mean, if he goes to L.A., maybe a third. But if you get something from Tampa Bay or Minnesota, I'm kind of expecting a late second there. Yeah, I think you could get away with uh, with a second. And I- I'm trying to think. I'm... Oh, I think another team might have Tampa Bay's second round pick right now. So that's intriguing. Do you think they're the Kraken are going to be targeting only picks or do you think they, they want to bring in maybe a couple prospects who have a year or two of development already under their belt? Uh, I think it'll kind of depend with, you know, how things are going with Hen or not Henderson. That's Vegas's AHL team, Palm Springs. How yeah, that's Palm all coming Springs along next year. Currently Charlotte checkers that they're splitting right now with Florida. So yeah. So like, I think they'll kind of have to take an organizational look at that and decide like, Hey, do we need a few young guys to kind of fill out our AHL team? Cause there's only so many vets you're allowed to, yeah. right? There's only so many spots, so many, uh, you know, roster spots that they, they have, but uh, maybe it's not necessarily an AHL guy. Maybe it's, maybe it's an overseas player that they could be looking at or, um, you know, maybe somebody who's still 19 playing in, in the, you know, one of the junior leagues or, you know, college hockey for that matter. So it will be interesting to see if they just try to stockpile nothing but picks or, you know, they get some guys who are already drafted. Um, but yeah, I expect Cal Yarncroft to be on the move because it, it's just the right move for Seattle right now where they're at to keep on building up a, a bunch more picks and keep that stockpile and really develop the team through the draft because uh, I think Ron Francis has made it pretty clear that's the direction he wants to take this team. And, uh, and he's totally... Uh, doing the right move there but moving right along here we have our third player and this is again another player another forward here too who is in the last year of his deal and um, on a pretty cap friendly uh, deal here only making 1.5 this year and playing some top line minutes now for the Kraken and that's Marcus Johansson um, another guy who could be an interesting little trade chip piece here. So, uh, what do you expect if, if he gets moved, uh, where is he going to end up and, uh, what could, what could you get for a guy like Marcus Johansson? Do you think? I think if he gets moved, it'll be kind of a mid late round pick, you know, your fourth, fifth, maybe if he keeps producing well with the top line here, potential third, but I only think it's kind of going to be something like that because he's a guy who, you know, throughout free agency wasn't really that sought after. In the last couple of years, his career has kind of been in a bit of a downward trend. But now with a bit of a spike in the last few weeks, teams might be thinking he'd be able to help them out in the odd spot here and there. Mm-hmm. Fresh legs when someone gets hurt in the playoff run. And that's why I think, you know, he might fit the style of Vegas or the Rangers. Maybe Colorado a little blend in there too. Yeah, just adding some more kind of depth in uh, your bottom six. That's that's kind of where I see this guy, and I think you're right on the the button there. Um, I think you're you you got to be pretty happy if uh, you pick up a thing like a fourth round pick for him. I think that's probably what his price tag is going to be. And by the time you you move on from a guy like him, um, you know you're gonna have some guys coming back into the lineup here. You know, like Jane Schwartz, he's going to be back in the lineup fairly soon as well. So you're going to get guys back from injury. Um, they're going to have to fit in the lineup and there's not a whole lot of guys I'm looking at that I would take out of the lineup right now. Um, and it's not like Kraken didn't add a guy like Carson Kuhlman who 
you know, is another guy who could fill in those spots when some of these uh, players are traded. So um, those are kind of the three that I think are the most likely to get traded off this team. Do you, do you have any other names out there? No, I think you got it with those three. Cool. Then to finish off this episode, Durham, it's been a really long time. So uh, unfortunately, buddy, I know it's cold outside, but I am tossing you into the deep end. Okay, question number one for you. Do you think it is possible, even the slightest bit, that the Kraken trade away a goalie, a.k.a. Chris Drigger? If you didn't throw AKA there, I had such a smart ass comment because I was going to say not from the NHL roster. <laughs> well, this so guy I'll is just have to go with no. Okay. I don't think. Wait, we're going to say in season or before deadline because I mean, fuck, anything can happen in the summer. But yeah, no, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking by deadline time. Then no. They're going with Grubauer and Drieger for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if that's still what they do next season. And uh, Drieger might become more of a trade chip uh, the following year. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think they're they're going to be confident, though, to run with Grubauer for, for uh, multiple seasons down the stretch here. I don't think they're going to be in any rush to change that up. Uh, backup goalie is always one of those weird things. Uh, you know, the goalie market is it's up and then it's down and then it's like super up and everybody wants a goalie. So, uh, those off seasons are tricky to figure out what can happen. So I agree with you there though. I don't think he's going to be on the move here, even though there's been some slight talk and some, you know, a bit of that, that, you know, that could be an option heading into this trade deadline. Um, you would free up what 3 million or 3.5, but 3.5. Okay, 3.5. But yeah, I agree with you there. Um, Here's another tricky one, though. Question number two for you, uh, Mr. Alec Durham. Jared McCann, he's leading this team right now. He's leading in points. He's leading in goals. He's been phenomenal. He is currently an RFA on his last deal or year of his deal. And an RFA, for anyone wondering out there, that means uh, restricted free agents. So technically his deal is over, but the Kraken still hold his rights. So um, even though that contract is up, they still hold his rights. Um, And what kind of deal are we going to expect Jared McCann to sign either during this year in the next few months or in the offseason? What's Jared McCann's deal going to be? I think he's totally proven his worth and deserving of at least a four year and five and a half a year deal that puts him at 22 million over four years at 5.5. I think that takes him till I'd have to check his birthday till he's either 29 or 30. Yeah. Wow. I like it. I, um, I was right there. I was, I was going to say around that five by five type of deal maybe a bit more money though, because he, he has proven it for multiple seasons in a row. When do you think that deal gets done? The sooner, the better. Cause although McCann might be saying, nah, let's hold off until I have my career year. And I put up <laughs> 65 or 70 points for a terrible team. Honestly, I was going to say the sooner, the less expensive, I think. Cause he might um, just go to arbitration too. I don't know offhand if that's available for him, but a 25 year old RFA, I got to figure he's eligible for arbitration for a year and then could hit UFA. 
and perfect. What does that mean, arbitration, for anyone uh, out there listening? Uh, so after so long, or so the player meets so many requirements, there's a couple different ways to earn arbitration by being or uh, putting time in into the league. But when the team has a disagreement for what they want to pay you, and you are like, well, I'm worth way more than that, but you're still an RFA, eventually you go to arbitration. So the team says, we offer this much for one or two years. And the players ask is I want this much for the same amount of term that the team proposes. And then a mediator or an arbitrator, arbitrator, a neutral arbitrator would say, yeah, I think this is what you get. And that's what they award you for either a one or two year deal. Yeah. And that team then has to take that deal or vice versa. The player kind of has to take that deal. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, um, that could be a possibility. Uh, I I don't think um, Ron Ronnie Francis there is going to have any doubts to to hand this guy like you said five five and a half per year for anywhere from four to even up to six years. I think uh, this this guy could get and either way, Jared McCann is going to bank in and make some absolute cash going forward. So. Uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be rolling in the dough here pretty soon. And I I wonder when it's going to happen though. I'm excited. I'm excited when it does. Cause, uh, I think looking at the RFA list, he is, uh, number one, no doubt, most important guy to get signed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, we will absolutely wrap this episode right up here. Um, so thanks everybody. Obviously thanks Durham for joining me, of course. And, Thanks everyone for tuning in to episode number 20 here, AKA Sebastian Aho. Join us next week as we break down both Kraken games. And of course, keep you up to date with NHL news and all things Kraken. So have a great week, everyone, and peace out, Kraken Nation.